This is Silla Viria today. I'm addressing the two topics together. And the reason is because the two of them, in terms of the function that it does to your mind, actually is very similar. The purpose, their, the, their role in the spiritual practice is very similar. So we can talk about them together. Um, they're not difficult. Today's talk is not difficult to understand, but it's difficult to practice. Very difficult to practice. Not difficult to understand. At the end of which, you will consider yourself expert in morality, Buddhist morality. But when it comes to the real crunch, whether or not you can apply it in your daily life, that's where the challenge begins, okay? Now, first, some definition. Silla. You emphasize on the I, so it's silla, okay? And silla, uh, translated quite accurately into English as morality. Now, what is morality? When we talk about morality philosophically, what do we mean? What we mean is the idea of what is right and what is wrong. Why is it right? Why is it wrong? What should we do? And what should we avoid doing? In the Buddhist context, Silla, we can pin it down to a core principle of doing good and avoiding actions that cause harm, pain, suffering to another. Essentially that. Basically, doing good and avoiding evil. Nasty things. So this is easy. Easy to understand, yeah? Afterwards, when we go into details, you will see easy to understand, difficult to practice. Virya. Virya, virya is translated as energy. And so arises this mistaken notion that it is all about effort. Effort. Having the will to do something. Not exactly. Buddha's definition of virya is very specific and I'll go into it in a while. It's energy, yes, but it is energy for something. Energy to do something. And in Buddha's teaching, it is the energy, the drive, the effort to keep the mind pure. So in effect, it is about doing good and avoiding evil. Okay? This came from the Buddha. The Buddha said, the individual must generate the desire for the non-arising of unarisen, bad, unwholesome states, akutsala states. And he makes an effort, arouses energy, applies his mind and strive to achieve this not letting, not letting something which is negative to arise. You look at the way it is said, huh? You generate desire. You bring up in you a wish. It starts with that. I want to. Non-arising of unarisen akusala states. It hasn't come out. You make sure it doesn't come up. 
So in your mind, at a start point, you say, I make a wish to make sure my mind does not have something that's negative, it hasn't been there, don't let it come out. Down to that level of clarity, you know. And then you make an effort, you arouse energy, you apply the mind, you strike. There are four different actions there. Buddha doesn't do thesaurus one, huh? If he puts four words there, it means four things, huh? It's not thesaurus. Meaning I make the same point four times using different words. It doesn't do that, okay? You make an effort is having in your mind a will. I want to do it. Then you go and stir up your energy. Sometimes we say, hey, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should. So, you know, New Year, we make resolution. Birthday, you make resolution. Anniversary or something or other, you make resolution. So you say, I should do this. Maybe I should, I should. I should study hard. Huh? I should not scold people. Huh? So I should. This is, I want to. There's a desire. Then you say, okay, let's try doing it. So you make that effort. Okay, okay. try not to do it, try not to do it, or try to do it, try to do it. Then you have to stir yourself up a bit more, right? Get out of the couch. I should do it, I raise my hand. Then arouse energy, you get your back up, sit up. And then you tell your mind, I am going to do this and you work hard at it, strive. And this is only about stopping something not there. Okay? Let's go on to something that is there. You generate desire for abandoning. So something, your, your mind is already negative. You have to generate a desire. You want to let it go. Your mind has negative, unwholesome, unskillful mental states. The Buddha used the word states. States may not be action, eh? it is just there. You have anger in you. You haven't scolded yet, but the anger is there. So you generate, you want to, you stir up energy, you make an effort to tell your mind, I'm going to let this go. And the fact that he used four, uh, four verbs there tell you how difficult it is. You know, negative states are not easy to overcome. How many of you would say, no, nah. very easy. Lah. Who dare say it? <laughs> how many of you say that it's actually so difficult? For you, all very easy. <laughs> On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 is drop of a head, like that. 10 is harder than building the Great Wall of China, okay? Where would you place this effort to break negativities? Five, four, three, or six? You all don't know. It all depends on your mood for the day. Okay, I guess it does. It does depend on our mood. Better mood, easier to do. Mood not so good, very difficult to do, okay? Generate desire means just stirring it up, wanting to do it, and then the rest continues. Make the effort, apply the energy, and so on and so forth. This is all for negative states. Huh? You look at the positive ones. Generate desire for the arising of unreasoned wholesome states, and finally, 
for the persistence of a reason, wholesome state. If you look into your mind and you see that it has nothing, it's neutral, it's on a neutral gear, nothing positive, nothing negative. So there is no wholesome state there, bring it up. You must want to bring it up. And the last one is, it's there. But can it stay there? You have metta. For once in your life, there is metta in your heart. <laughs> can your metta be sustained? Not easy, lah. Okay? So, what this implies, virya means having the energy, making the effort, trying hard to keep the mind pure. It is the same as sila, not, different, not very different. Okay? So therefore, very similar, it is about effort to tame negative, unskillful, unwholesome mental instincts and impulses and to cultivate and bring forth the positive, skillful, wholesome mental states. Incidentally, the word kusala and akusala. Kusala, it has been translated in English as wholesome and akusala as unwholesome. But I actually prefer the other explanation for kusala, which is skillful. And akusala is unskillful. I prefer that one. Reason is this. To, you, you just think about it. To give in to your instinct. Is that easy? You're angry, just scold. Very easy. Ma. Doesn't take a lot of skill, right? But, but, when you get upset and you hold it back, hold it, don't say a word, don't let it out. And watch the mind until it let go, until it moves off. Take skill, right? Way more skill. So, in Buddhism, the word kusala is skillful. Far better word. Wholesome, unwholesome is just describing a state. But the other one tells you what has to be done. Okay? Now, then when do we use sila and when do we use virya? It depends on the practitioner and what level of practice we're talking about. In normal day practice, day to day, we usually use the word sila. But if you were to elevate it into a state where you're trying to watch the mind and making sure, watching the mind, making sure that the mind is clean and pure, that's virya because you're exercising effort to achieve that. That's virya, okay? Now I'm going to talk about sila. Straightforward, but the point that I want to uh, point out, the point I want to make is this. When we do something, when we perform an action, when we perform an action, you need to make a distinction between the actual action itself and the motivations behind the action. Sometimes your motivation is not a negative one, but the results can be disastrous. Sometimes your motivation is a positive one, huh? and yet bad things happen. And vice versa, you can have a positive, sorry, a negative intent, and then the outcome wasn't so bad. <laughs> You actually want to cause trouble to people, so you're motivated by anger. 
But then he got forgiven. <laughs> no thanks to you. So, in Buddhism, we are not interested in the results per se. We are interested in your motivation. What is in your mind when you make a choice to do something. Okay? And Buddha said, the very basic motivations of human beings, basic motivations, meaning in all of us here, you don't tell me you don't have. If you human, you would have. Okay? Any non-human here? <laughs> the fact that we are all human, part of the humanity race, we will have. And these are our basic instincts. In Pali, the Pali words are beautiful. Loba, dosa, moha. Okay? Loba means I want it. I want something. It's the one thing. You use it, greed, okay. That's that's good enough. But the idea, the idea of this particular motivation, Loba, is wanting it, pulling something towards you. And a lot of us, a lot of us are driven by this. Sometimes you think that, no, no, uh, I don't have Loba one, you know, I don't have. <laughs> maybe, maybe you don't have. But I doubt lah. <laughs> Loba is not just about possession. It is a state of mind that wants things. How many of you would happily cheer cheerfully tell me, people scold me, I don't care? How many? Oh, honest. People say you nice, you care or not? People say you're so pretty today, nice or? Oh, you lose weight. Just like that, make people happy. <laughs> Loba is also that. The desire for praise. The desire for something. Whatever desire it is, whether it's tangible or intangible, it is a form of Loba. I'll give you one more, okay? Sure have one. Uh, you like to spend time with people you like, right? Don't you? You do, right? That's Loba, you see that? I want, I want to spend time with someone I like. If you want to spend time with someone you don't like, I say good practitioner, man. <laughs> and the odds are you are not going to have that, okay? So loba is for tangible and intangible. Dosa is the diametrical opposite. You get upset. The energy that arises in the mind is pushing away. So loba is drawing towards you, dosa is pushing it away. That's all. So it's been translated as anger and hatred. But the idea, the idea here is you are pushing it away. I don't want it. I don't want it to come near me. That's dosa. Okay? And therefore, it, all these are in different degrees. You can have a very mild form, really very good practitioner, right? Very mild form of loba, very mild. So all you have is preference, very mild, ma. Huh? Or you can have it very intense. I desire, I love. Lagi more intense, I lust. Very intense, really, ma. You see what I'm saying? It's the, it's the entire spectrum of wanting something. And the other one can be mildly annoyed, annoyed, and myth, 
very mild. Or it can be I hate intensely. I swear revenge. Ah, anger to the, that degree. Lah, huh? So the spectrum. Moha is the one that is the very, dif it's very difficult to explain. It's translated as delusion, sometimes foolishness, sometimes ignorance. But the idea, the idea is this. What are you deluded about? What is this delusion that they talk about? It is about not knowing the nature of the mind. Absolute nature of the mind. It is believing in certain uh, principles and you hold those principles to be true. For instance, the principle that says um, being happy means chasing, getting the things you want. You believe in that kind of logic. You believe in permanence. You believe in um, immediate gratification. Why wait? You know, this kind of beliefs. I used to give this example, and I think it helps to explain a little bit. It's just an, it's just an idea here, okay? Now, uh, show of hand, huh? How many of you, if you have your life to live all over again, if you have your life to live all over again, you will study harder? Well, you're all PhD holder. <laughs> How many of you would say that if I have my life to live all over again, I'll, I'll work harder? No, no, nobody. All work, all, all work less. <laughs> work harder, la, work harder. You're shy, la, I understand you're shy, but you work harder. Okay, now I ask you this, why? Uh? Why you want to work harder? Because you start to understand that actually there is a correlation between education and career. Yes? But you only have this understanding when you are older. When they are older, they will have this understanding. When they are young, they don't have this understanding. Okay? Agree? Hello, feedback. Ah. <laughs> no, no, no. This is, this is, not, this is a not a rhetorical question. I need you to understand this. Today, you understand the correlation between having good education and a good career. But when you were younger, you never had that understanding. Your parents could be grumbling at you until the cow comes home, then went to work the next day, you still don't understand and you don't get it, you don't care. Then you're only studying because your parents are there watching over you. Okay? Today you do. So what you have is, once upon a time you had moha with regards to that correlation. Today you have no more moha with regards to the correlation between a career and education. So moha is like wisdom, it's like knowledge, it's a realisation, it is a knowing, but a knowing with wisdom. That's moha. A lot of us, in fact all of us, most of us, as we go through our life proclaiming to be Buddhist, we actually still have moha. We have moha about the reality of the mind, the correlation between dukkha and craving and letting go and relief. We have that moha. If we have no more moha, if we don't have moha, then we wouldn't be in dukkha. Ma. We should be in bliss. 
no, no, no need to depend on drugs and marijuana. marijuana, marijuana. <laughs> Obviously, I don't take that. <laughs> but the point, the point is, if you have no moha, you wouldn't be experiencing dukkha. As long as there is the sensation of dukkha, you have moha. And the more your moha, the more your dukkha, if you like. Okay? <clears throat> now, let's look at do no evil. So I'm going, to, I'm going to explain a little about do no evil and do good. No killing. All of you know the five precepts, yes? They are very basic. If you don't know the five precepts, or you know but you don't really care, we have a problem, okay? The most basic of the moral restraint, the very first one is no killing. And there are five conditions for you to qualify as a killer. Number one, the being is alive. Number two, you want the being to die. You want it. Therefore, there is motivation, intent. Number three, you did something. Number four, you, you, you did something to kill it. Number four, being dies. Sorry, 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 I missed out one. Number one, it's alive. Number two, you know it is alive. So you have, you have conscious, you have a brain and the brain knows that it's alive. So if you are gila, mad, and you have no sense of the being being alive, you just go around, you think you're stabbing the pillow, but actually you're stabbing somebody, right? It, it, that's not killing. The mind is not. Your mind has to know that the being is alive Number three, you, you went to do something. Uh, sorry, you want it dead. Number four, you did something. And number five, it died as a result of you stabbing or killing it. Okay? Suppose, let's say, hypothetically, you want to kill something. Then you chase after it. Then it tripped, it fell, it broke its neck, it died. Well, lucky for you, you didn't quite qualify under Panatipata. Okay? Actually, that's, you, you actually didn't kill it. You may have thoughts about killing it, but lucky for you, it fell and broke its neck. So all you have is sway. <laughs> the thing is sway. <laughs> okay? Now, as a Buddhist, we seek to respect life. So the very, very bare minimum, I call it rock bottom, is when you say, I don't take the life. This is rock bottom, bare minimum. At the next level is when you give life, you respect, you honour, you uphold another person's right to life. Okay? That's the next level. In Pali, the word is adinadana. Okay? Pali word, huh? adinadana. In English, we happily translated it as stealing. Our stealing rule is actually a bit low. Lah. Buddhism, Buddhism, something not given to you, something that's not given to you, you don't take. <laughs> something not given to you, you don't take. That means office stationery, you don't take. 
And it also means that $2 note, okay, $50 note on the floor, you don't take. It's given to you, is it? It's actually quite, quite, quite strict. The question is, why, uh, why is it so strict? Uh? You don't steal 15 minutes from your coupon. <laughs> you don't steal 15 minutes from your coupon. What, the Singapore government gave you 15 minutes, is it? Spare time, spare time. You don't. You don't take what was not given. Why is it so strict? Why is Buddhism so strict? Because no police is going to chase you for, uh, <coughs> you stole 15 minutes from the government. <laughs> oh yeah, they find you. <laughs> They'll find you. But why, why are we so strict? And the reason is because in our practice, we are trying to stop ourselves from having low bar. Remember? This craving, we're trying to neutralize this habit. We're trying to neutralize this habit. Here, you want to neutralize the habit. There, you're taking opportunity to take a little bit. You see how it doesn't gel with it? So, the stricter you are, the more conscious you are about not taking. Okay? No sexual misconduct. Sorry, uh, uh, as the don't, no, no taking one, I just put the higher bar. The, the lowest bar is no stealing. The next bar, which is what we have here, is don't take what's not given to you. Higher than that is giving. The correlation to this at a higher level as a practitioner, you not just don't take, you give. Generosity, open-hearted giving. I will talk about giving later in a bit more, a bit more details, okay? No sexual misconduct. The key point here is not to impose oneself on another. So Buddha, in explaining this a little bit more, make the point that you do not force yourself on someone younger. So young kids, under age or out. You do not go with somebody who is promised to another. So, so this thing about promise to another, not even married yet. Married, sure, no go. But promise really cannot. Okay? Cannot touch. Uh, underage. When someone, someone has no intellect, so they don't know to turn you down, you also cannot touch. Take advantage of people with, with uh, lower intellect. Not allowed. That's the last one. This, so, too young, and no forcing yourself. If someone is not willing, you cannot force yourself. Any of this would count under sexual misconduct, okay? And which means that you must, if you had promised yourself to another, you take your marital vows seriously, okay? No untruths. Over here, very clear, you know what is truth, you know, usually you know, and you intend for someone to be misled deliberately. Eh? You know it's truth, you want someone to be misled, you undertake action so that the person is misled, and the person is misled. Kenapian. Okay? Then it counts under Musawada. So, no such thing, you come along, you tell me, got white. White lies, black lies, brown lies, <laughs> purple ones, they are all lies. 
not truth. As long as you know it, you know it to be untrue, you know it and you want someone else to be misled, pake already. Counted. Get it? Okay. And the last one is intoxicants. Okay? This one is unique to Buddhism. In fact, in the time of the Buddha, for a long time, they only had these four precepts. The fifth one came about much later. The result of someone who got drunk, misbehaved, did something wrong, his practices all went down the drain. So this one was introduced. The idea here, so don't be so rigid. The idea here is you know for yourself Intoxicants can cause your mind to go fuzzy. If you are trying to do the right thing, you avoid having a mind this fuzzy. That's what it means. You avoid doing something that causes the mind to be fuzzy. That's all. So some of you will say, <coughs> my threshold, what do we call that? Uh? Alcoholic <laughs> threshold. Your drink threshold is this high. So if I drink like this, it's okay, whatever lah. As long as you know your mind is not fuzzy, you know. But some of us, you take like that already. <laughs> you take this amount and you are in, I don't know, heaven. <laughs> then for you, unique to you, you can't take this amount. You can almost take this amount. <laughs> One drop. <laughs> okay? Beyond that, Beyond these five precepts, if you are now very inspired, you know, you're all inspired to do more, right? Clearly, you are inspired. I can see all the inspiration now. Then, you have to go beyond just the gross. The gross one are the killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, lying. Okay, those are gross. Instead, you are going to avoid these akusala kama, even more restraints, okay? And this would include four more, three, sorry, three more under speech, three more for the mind. The earlier ones, no killing, no stealing, sexual misconduct, they are the action ones, okay? You see this one? Hush speech, parusa watcher. Meaning to say, if you open your mouth in anger, I will put the word sarcasm under this. If you open your mouth motivated by negativities, you break this one. You have committed it already. Sometimes you say, must go. You don't score, the fellow doesn't learn. Okay, never mind, hush speech. <laughs> Do whatever you want, say whatever you want. The moment it comes up motivated by anger, hush speech. Okay? Pisuna watcher, slander. This is to try and destroy somebody's reputation through deliberate speech, deliberate action on your part. You deliberately want someone, people, the world to believe badly of somebody. So you go around and you talk and you could you don't necessarily talk with harsh speech. In fact, the odds are you talk with nice speech. <laughs> Except that it falls under slander because your motivation is negative. You may be motivated by loba. Okay, uh, today we practice Pali, okay? You may be motivated by loba, 
Or you could be motivated by? Dosa. Well done. Three stars here, no star here. <laughs> Dosa. Okay. You, why, is low, why is it loba? Because you want gains. You want to look good. So he looks bad, you look good. Why is it dosa? I hate him. How many of you have done slandering to someone you love? Odds are no lah. <laughs> okay, sorry. Sorry. Of course you all don't slander. How rude of me to assume. Right? So, slandering. Okay, next. <clears throat> I have mentioned this before. In fact, in this very class, I've mentioned this before. Pali words, sampapalapa. English frivolous talks. Unfortunately, everything other than dhamma falls into this category. <laughs> so the moment you step through those doors, huh? no more, how are you, whether good or not, whether not good, huh? <laughs> no more, okay? Everyone who walks through the door, how's your practice today? <laughs> Did you see mindfulness? Huh? Are we all virya, you know, having virya? It must be like that, huh? you remember that. You know, tea break afterwards, it will be very quiet. <laughs> when suddenly everybody went downstairs to talk. <laughs> Frivolous talk, why so difficult? Why Buddha so difficult? Cannot talk about weather? Weather we got wrong, huh? What's wrong with weather? You see, our mind is typically very shaky. It, it bounces all over the place, huh? our mind does that. If you were to introduce any subject to your mind, the mind will dance with it. It will run all over with it. And straight away, you have a problem. So if you are trying to practice, these are all trying, you are learning to practice. Otherwise, you just stick with five precepts. But if you're trying to practice, then you start to observe how your mind dances around with all the smallest things. Cooking recipe, the mind will dance. Yeah? Drinking water, the mind will dance. Then you go on, even more subtle, even more subtle negativities. This one pertains to the mind, the instinct of the mind to want something. To want something. And not just want it. If I want something and I couldn't get it, and someone else has it, I covet it. Coveting it. It is that subtle. And this one, you need to look into your mind very carefully. It can be something as subtle as, I ordered, okay, five of us go for dinner. I ordered something, you ordered something. Then I look at my plate, I look at your plate, your plate looks more interesting than my plate. Leh. There arises covetousness already. It's that subtle. You have to get down to the level of seeing the mind so clearly. Why? You saw no standard, just anger you see, or craving you see. It's that subtle, it's very, very subtle, okay? Now, why is this ill will? This is not anger, this is ill will. What's the difference? Anger is when your ears blow. You know, cartoon, the ears, right? You are upset. You want to take things and throw. Take things and throw, okay? That's anger. Ill will is very subtle. So this is all about subtlety. Sometimes you didn't say anything. 
And the world looking at you thought you're so sweet. You're still smiling, but inside there is <laughs> water boiling. <laughs> but very subtle. So, okay, maybe no pee yet. 60 degree only boiling. Just boiling over there. Yeah? You have, I mean, you know your own mind. Oh, of course, I'm not talking about you. Lah. You know the other person's mind, right? So you know he's like there. Just nobody knows only. You think he what smile at you. <laughs> Inside there, oh, very angry. <laughs> so that's ill will. And the very last one, holding on to wrong views. This is the mother of all subtlety. Why is this a problem? You see... Everything starts with the right view. You want to practice? You start off by understanding the correlation between amongst the Four Noble Truths. It has to start there. If you start with the belief that it's okay, I give myself discount, my practice can start next life. You know, these are all the wrong views. I can't do it this life, next life then start. Yeah, but it all depends on what you are next life, what? Cow can't start. You see what I'm saying? So you have all kinds of very subtle, very subtle wrong views. It can be as subtle as, no, I believe in the Buddha most time. <laughs> or I believe in the Buddha, then the next minute you turn and you scold somebody. You believe in Buddha means you believe in karma. You believe in karma, you scold people for what? You see what I'm saying? That's all these subtle things that we don't get it, you know? Okay? So those are your do no evil, okay? Doing good means the motivation. It's always about motivation. It's not about action per se. It's about the motivations. The Buddha used an opposite word, aloba, adosa, amoha. He didn't use the positive one, meaning he didn't, for instance, he didn't use dana or he didn't use metta in place of adosa. He used the opposite word. Why? Basic. These are all basic, fundamental core words. Do you or do you have anger or not? Do you or do you have craving, wanting, the wanting? If you don't have this wanting, if it is not that wanting, then it is no wanting. You see what I'm saying? It, if you are motivated you are motivated by either something present or something which is essentially absent. You look at your own mind, okay? Just, just, I want you all to just look inwards as I explain this. If you do something and the greed is there, you know it, right? Would you know it? If the greed is there and you do something, you know it. If that greed factor is not there, would you know it? You should. You should. If you're a practitioner, you should know it. That's good enough. That's the point. When you perform an action and there isn't that greed there, that action is pure. If you do something and there isn't an anger there, that action is, there's no anger, there is no greed. There is one more element. This is the third. You push it further. Buddha set a low standard already. If you were to push it further, then you can have generosity. You do something, but what is, not, what is there is not just no greed, but 
filled with a sense of generosity. That's one level further. You see that. Do you understand that? This is not the same and you have to see subtly the difference. I repeat, it can be that you are motivated by greed. It may well be that the greed is not there. So, ah, loba, the greed is not there, but you want to do it. I'll give you an example. Someone you know is very powerful. He has an ability to influence promotions. Motivated by greed, self, um, you, you wanting to promote yourself, you know, get yourself promoted ahead. Motivated by that desire, you sit next to him and you chit-chat with him. Okay? And he's down, so you took the opportunity to comfort him, talk to him. You raise yourself in his eyes. But what's in you? It's greed. Okay? The action seems to be a positive one, but your motivation is a negative one. That's what matters. Suppose, let's say, same situation, he's down, he needs to talk, you sit there, there is no greed in you. You're not thinking of yourself at all. You just sat there, and then you look at him, he's down, you, you felt sorry, so you talk to him, and you keep him company. Is greed there? It is not there. You know it. No one else does. So you do it. You're doing it with no motivation as such. Or at least motivated not by greed. It's just a desire to comfort perhaps. Or it may well be that you are filled with a sense of giving. Filled with a sense of compassion. Those are even stronger motivations. And then you sit and you comfort and you talk and, you, and, and basically just keep him company. So in the third case, as opposed to the second case, your motivations are a little bit different. So Buddha actually starts with a relatively low skill. He asks you not to be motivated by greed, by anger, and by delusion, that's all. But of course, you can go into very strong, positive actions. Doing meritorious action. And the very first one is dana, giving. Dana, you have, just to bear in mind, uh, there are tangible danas and there are intangible danas. Tangible danas, tangible generosity, will be giving something such as money, gifts, requisites, something you hold and it's absolute. You can, it's tangible. But there's intangible ones. Intangible ones would be like your time. Sorry, the tangible ones are your organ. Ah, yeah. Dead or alive. <laughs> blood, blood. You should all donate blood, okay? The intangible ones are things like time. And time, for most of us, unfortunately, is a zero-sum game since we only have 24 hours and we need some time to sleep. So because time is, a, for Singaporeans especially, time is such an absolute zero-sum game, the odds are it's easier for you to give something tangible than to give something like time. How many of you regularly, meaning once a week, regularly give donation, money? Never do, do more. 
most of us actually would say Vesak Day, we all go and donate. Yes? Vesak Day also never donate. <laughs> most of us would do something on Vesak Day, okay? How many of you would say you had volunteered over the last month? And suddenly the number of hands would drop. Because volunteering takes time. Giving money, you got plenty. Or sort of, doesn't matter. I got tiko, I give kokak lah. So it's, it's just like that, okay? The idea of generosity, please, uh, bear this in mind. The idea of generosity is your heart must be open. The, the, the joy of giving has to be there. If you give already because they give, I must give. Then they give happily, I give not so happy. Your dana is as good as don't have. It must affect the mind. It must sit nice on the mind. All these actions are negative, positive. All of them must sit with the mind. So when you give dana, the heart has to be open. There must be the joy that arises. So even if you give very little, it's not how much you give. It's how well you give. How much you give is boiled down to dollars and cents. How well you give is the degree of joy for yourself and for the other person. Okay? Now, Scylla. Scylla, I am talking about Scylla. <laughs> the idea about Scylla, the only thing I want you to bear in mind is restraining your negative instincts. We have a lot of negative instincts. It comes out very spontaneously. We have to learn to keep them under control. So any motivations by greed, by anger, by delusion, keep it under control. Learn to let go. Okay? Next one is bhavana, meditation. The idea here is spend a bit of time, just a bit of time, if you, that's all you can afford. 24 hours, very busy, very busy. Yeah? So you can only afford 10 minutes. Fine. We'll take 10 minutes, 10 minutes to sit and watch the mind quietly. Rest the mind quietly. Rested means that 10 minutes, if you only have 10 minutes, I strongly recommend more. But then who am I to impose, right? So I don't <laughs> impose. La. If you were to ask me, I would say half an hour to an hour. But then you're not asking me, so I am just saying 10 minutes, okay? <laughs> 10 minutes of sitting means you do nothing. No iPad, no iPhone, no Samsung. No anything. Okay, you do nothing, you just sit quietly and you tell yourself for the next X minutes, you are not going to do anything, you're just going to sit there with your breathing. Your breath, your breathing, whatever that you use as an object of meditation, you just sit quietly and sit with that for a while. Okay? The next two, I shall talk about them together. This one, showing respect, and this one, doing service. I like this in wholesome days. If you do service, helping someone stab somebody, not so good, huh? <laughs> it must be doing service for the right reason. Okay. <clears throat> I put the two together because in terms of practice, this is about taming your ego. For you to be able to stand up and take a bow or stand up to somebody out of respect, your ego, you are saying, is smaller, must put aside, I am less, I'm lesser than you. 
Now, very often you will find the translation like this, huh? showing respect, and then they added the words, to someone worthy. And then the other one is doing service to someone worthy. They usually put it like this. Actually, the Pali words don't have to someone worthy. The Pali words, right? Apachayana has no to someone worthy. It's just like that. Okay? Then why do we add in the word to someone worthy? Because it is easier to do it to someone worthy. If I ask you to stand up to any Tom, Dick or Harry that comes through the door, the odds are you are going to mask me, why? Why do I have to stand up to everybody? Our ego will come in and say, no, cannot. But if I were to say, everyone that comes in is an aria, say, <laughs> the odds are everybody will happily stand. Someone worthy, ma? <laughs> so the idea here is putting aside your ego. Putting aside. Show respect, not difficult. Show greeting, not difficult. Doing service. Now, you may think that, oh, this is about going to old folks' home, going to homes and volunteering service, build schools for the uh, children in don't know where, don't know what. Eh? Not just that. Those are worthy, for sure. Those makes you feel very good, definitely. Not just that. You are sitting around a table. Your food is done. Can you keep your plate and their plate? Taking the plates for everyone is a form of service. You are actually putting aside your own ego and be helpful to everyone. This is being helpful. It's a form of giving. Okay? This two, I'm doing again together. One is performing, performing the function, the rituals of transferring merits. But it is not just pour water that transferring merits. It's also in your mind. In your mind, when you had done something positive and you want to share with beings, you just in your mind say, I don't need all these merits for myself, I'm sharing it. It's allowing the mind to share. And this one is when someone else is doing something positive, you are happy for him. This is building mudita. I will explain mudita in the next slide. This is helping mudita. This is karuna compassion. See the difference? Both of which has to do with respect for beings that can't do things for themselves. It's actually respect beings who no longer can do things for themselves, so you do something for them. Okay? You know, we like to look at this word and think of it as doing merits, transferring it to the DCs, right? Actually, sometimes it's not so straightforward. I, I'm just thinking aloud and sharing my thoughts here. Suppose, let's say, you, you, um, you do a lot of work for a school. You do a lot of work for a school. A lot. The, the school respects you and treats you special. You know somebody needs to get in, wants the child to get into the school. Uh, so you go to the school for a favour, but you know it's a one-off favour. passport no more. Okay? Will you do it? Because you could keep it for yourself, you keep it for your kid, but now you're going to transfer it to someone else. This is doing a favour and then passing it on. 
the idea, it's not just about the debt, it's about doing things for people. It's doing things for people and then getting nothing in return and passing on what you have accumulated to another. Someone can use it. It's a lot of giving here, you know. Transfer marriage to the dead is easy. Why is it easy? I can't see, ma. Can you see? Can, do you have a married account? <laughs> Where you can see the points? If you have a married account, you die. Surely you will be counting your points well. But you don't have a marriage account. So transferring marriage for you is very cheap. But in real life, in real life, calling in favours, transferring it to another, those are not cheap. Those come at a cost. Will you do it? Will you do it? It is giving. It's a form of giving. Okay? And then when someone else does it, you're happy for them. Okay, last three. Listening to Dhamma talk, sharing Dhamma, straightening out one's view. Ditijukamma, last one. All of them pertaining to Dhamma understanding. And the assumption here is sharing the right Dhamma, hearing the right Dhamma, and straightening out your view. Buddha wants you, and I've said this before last week, Buddha wants you to think, to exercise judgment, to reflect, to be an intelligent thinking Buddhist. So therefore, you need to ask questions. Therefore, at four today, there will be plenty of questions. <laughs> Two aspects. Huh? Just now, what I presented was what I would call a lower bar. This is a higher bar, okay? This is a state of, these are states of mind. And these states of mind are possible only if, the states of mind are possible only if your practice is good or somewhat good. Otherwise, they are what I call the stock market. It fluctuates uh, up and down, up and down, okay? One day got meta, next minute no more meta. Your meta lasts for a grand total of three minutes. Very good already, yesterday only two minutes. Okay, what are these? Meta, okay, I use the traditional translation, but the more correct one is actually friendliness. Meta actually just means friendliness. I, I know I've gone through this, so today I'll go through very quickly. Compassion, altruistic joy, and equanimity. The four of them are not mutually exclusive. First and foremost, understand that they are not mutually exclusive. Meaning to say that you have karuna, compassion, doesn't mean you cannot be equanimous. In fact, in fact, if you have this one missing, if you have upeka, equanimity missing, and all you have is this, this and this, then you could end up being very trapped, very caught up, very affected by your feelings. People cry, you cry. People die, you cry. People didn't die. Die, also you cry. <laughs> because you are unable to maintain a certain, a certain degree of distance. But you see, if you have upeka, you tell me I have upeka and I practice it very solid, I've got upeka, okay. So you have upeka, you've got none of the above. 
Then what are you? Digimon. <laughs> Digital man. <laughs> because you're already bochap. Everything you're indifferent. What? 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 Do lo. But cannot walk. Lah. Walk. Lah. What's your problem? <laughs> so you're going to be very distant. You see that? So these four must be cultivated together. Together. Such that you can have all the gentle and kind and quiet and giving quality without being a sobbing mess. Half the time crying because a lot of dukkha in the world. Ma. <laughs> and vice versa, okay? Now, why are we cultivating Scylla? Talk so much, now we have to understand the logic of what we are doing. At the very minimum, very minimum, Buddha said so. So you can have a situation, and we do, right? For the longest time, many of you happily proclaiming yourself to be five preceptors. And then on Chiwi Jabgo, right? Full moon, new moon, eight preceptors. Tonight I cannot sleep on the bed because I'm at eight preceptors. And then, what happened? Buddha says so, we must do. No understanding, just doing. Good enough? Good enough if that's all, what, all, that's all that you want, but that's not good enough if you're a practitioner, okay? Some do it because of this. Yes? For those of you who believe in karma, in fact, some of us, I was asked this question, do I believe in a particular set of, uh, like a manual? You do this, you get this, you do this, you get that, you do this, <laughs> No, no, it doesn't work like that. But the fear of karma is a very powerful motivator. For many of us, we avoid killing only because we don't want to end up like an ant. <laughs> you kill, 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 all the ants, next time become ants. How? <laughs> okay, now, whatever. Okay? At a higher level of understanding, it's about having a free conscience and peace of mind. At a higher level, it's about being happy. Ultimately, it's about the spiritual practice. Preparing the mind to be able to meditate. Preparing the mind to be able to meditate. Without meditation, not, not possible to see Nibbana. Okay? How, why do I make this... Why do I make this sorry? Why do I make this claim? This one is because of this sutta. There was a conversation between Buddha and Ananda. And Ananda asked the Buddha, what is the purpose and the benefit of Silla? Silla, okay? And the reply, the purpose and benefit is non-regret. Conscience free. First step. Ananda asked, what is the purpose of non-regret? Because we are teaching Pali, the word is there. Okay? <laughs> Buddha replied, the benefit of non-regret is you are happy. You have pamut jato, gladness. Ananda asked, what's the purpose of having pity, the joy? And the Buddha replies, so that you have tranquility. And then what's the purpose of tranquility? So that you have sukha, 
happiness, pleasure. What is the purpose of that? You see, all these three refers to a state of mind that is light, delighted. A delighted mind is a happy, a happy delighted, soft mind. The mind is soft. It's open. Light, soft, open. This is where they talk about malleable. It can be molded. I will stop here and ask you this. You think about this. Huh? I know you're all waiting for the rest. Don't give you. <laughs> no, no. I ask you this. You all had gone through childhood to adulthood, right? Just, just put your mind through those years, okay? The point when people were trying to teach you something and you resented it. You resented it. You don't want to learn. Teacher, I don't like. I don't want to learn from this teacher. Do you have that? Ah, yes, I know you have. Don't have to put up arms, uh, huh? No need. Don't have to put up hands. Okay, you have all these periods, right? Do you find your mind very difficult, very, very hard, can't really learn? The teacher you don't like, you're not going to learn anything from her or him. But the moment it is someone you like, you try your best. And somehow you can hear the person, right? It's normal. You are not abnormal. This is the way the mind works. So what did the Buddha just taught us to do? He said, you get the heart to be quiet with no regret. The heart has no regret. It is able to be happy. If it can be happy, it goes through the stages of delight. It gets softer and softer. All these are very soft. Softer, softer. And then you can concentrate. What is the purpose of concentration? So that you can see your mind. As it is, yatha butta jnana dasana, very important word. This is the beginning of wisdom. You have concentration and it is possible for the mind to see the mind. See how the mind works. Yatha butta, as it is, as they are, jnana Knowledge, dasana, seeing, seeing, insight. So to see, to see and to understand things as they really are. You cannot do concentration, you can't get to this state. Okay? And when you can see things as they are, the mind knows how to turn and then let go. Let go. It can turn and it can let go. And finally, once that happens, once the mind knows how to turn away from the object and let go of the object, the mind can taste, see and taste freedom. Vimutti, vimutti freedom, liberation the joy of freedom and jnana dasana same thing see the word jnana dasana jnana dasana jnana dasana is an extremely important word because it tells you realization is through knowledge and understanding you must see and you know what you are seeing have to be seen have to be understood 
and you know what you are seeing. You can't see, you won't understand. If you say, I understand, but you've never seen a thing, your understanding is distorted, not pure, not correct, incomplete. Okay? This came from Anguttara Nikaya. He even gave you the page number. This is from Bhikkhu Bodhi's uh, work, Anguttara Nikaya. Okay? Okay, what Bhikkhu is the faculty of Virya? I repeat, huh? this is to recap. Arouse energy for abandoning of unwholesome states and the acquisition of wholesome ones. Earlier on, we talked about Silla. Now we're talking about Virya. Virya, okay? And Virya is about the energy, the effort you put in to try and keep the mind space clean. This, wait, this is called the faculty of Virya. Samyutta Nikaya, okay? So broadly speaking, two parts to it. Purging negativities. Uh, two things broadly. Purging, removing unskillful states, cultivating positive ones. Straightforward, right? Then the next question, which is more interesting, is why is it such an important mental faculty? So important that it was mentioned more times than Panya. And we all know how critical Panya is. If you go through, Virya actually has its own sets. The four right endeavour is Virya, all four of them. Why is it so critical? Buddha said in Samyutta Nikaya, it is to be expected that he who has faith will dwell with energy aroused for abandoning of unwholesome states and the acquisition of wholesome ones. Note, note uh, this. Last week, we talked about Sadda. Here, the Buddha is saying, you start with Sadda. When there is Sadda, you will be inspired to practice. The energy, if you, if you have Sadda, what it means is you will start to listen to the Dhamma that he had left behind. You start listening to the suttas. You start listening to what he said must be done. And he tells you one of the things that must be done is you've got to learn how to keep the mental space, your mind, pure. He says it has to be done. So because you have faith in him, then you will try and do something which is not easy to begin with. This portion has two parts to it. Virya has two parts to it, okay? Part one, you've got to know what's in your mind. Part two, you've got to know what you have to do. There are two parts. You have to make a call, make a choice to spot what is there in your mind. To spot it is already not easy. Many a times, you don't get it until it's almost too late. Just as you are about to throw the dagger at somebody, you realize you have anger. 
very often, by the time you realise you were angry, you are in the thick of it. By the time you realise that you are craving, you are in the throes of craving. So it's not easy to spot the mind, to remember to go and look at the mind to begin with. That is why we all get caught up, we get carried away. It's so difficult to pull back. Because to stop it from coming up, the difficulty is spotting it. But if you can spot it before it came up, you can stop it. Because it hasn't caught hold of you yet. You understand that? The moment it's there and you spotted it, because now you have no difficulty catching it, right? It's there staring at you in the face. Too late. You are caught up with the story. And therefore, the difficulty the second time round is letting it go. The first time, the difficulty is catching it. The second time, the difficulty is letting go. You try and let go when you're angry. Don't know why the story has a life of its own. You just can't stop yourself from thinking. You can't stop yourself from letting it be. You see what I'm saying? The same thing, greed, craving. When craving is there, you just want to eat the chakwiti. Oh, what's your problem? I just have to eat it. I just have to have it. I still have to buy it. You're caught up. It's just all caught up with it. Okay? So, trick number one, catch it before it comes out. But if it's already there, it's too late. You have to learn how to drop it. So the Buddha said, you have faith, you will arouse the energy to try and let go of unwholesome states and to bring up wholesome ones. You have faith and you have energy, you will, meaning sadda, virya, eventually we don't use English, okay? Eventually only Pali words. You have sadda and you have virya, what do you have? Sati, okay? When there is sati, meaning to say, if you can spot, surely now your mind is sharp. Every time you can see the content in the mind, you have sati. And when you have sati and the sati is strong enough, samadhi will happen. When there is samadhi, there is panya. Well done. See the connection? Sadda, virya, sati, samadhi, panya. Samyutta, nikaya. Okay? This is the reason why. Why virya is so important. It's the connection between your faith and your practice. You need virya. You need virya because if there is no virya, your mind can't be still, can't be sharp can be focused, can be alert. These are all the qualities of an elevated mind. And this state of mind, all these qualities, these state of mind is necessary for Panya. That's the reason why all five cannot be dropped. That's the connection between Sadda, your faith, and Panya, your realisation. In between, there are a few more. And all have to be cultivated and developed. How? How do you cultivate virya to a point that it becomes a factor of enlightenment and not just a state of mind? You see, for most of us, Silla, remember Silla, the cousin of virya? Silla, morality, 
Morality is a state of mind. It's what you, the rules, the rules of do's and don'ts. And then now you understand why you should have all these rules in order that the mind can be calm. But now we're talking about it, not just a state of mind. It is now an energy, a force, capable of guiding you, taking you to enlightenment. Okay? What monk is the nutrient for the arising of virya? You have no virya. What does it take to feed such that virya can arise? Number one. And once it has a reason, what does it take to feed it so that it becomes a factor of enlightenment? And the Buddha said, there are because the element of arousal, endeavor, exertion. Three verbs. You've got to bring it up, you've got to keep it going, and you've got to push. You've got to make the effort to keep it going, and you have to make a lot of effort to push. And you must frequently give careful attention. Yoniso manasikara appears again and again. You have to frequently give uh, attention, careful attention to them for the arising of, uh, of virya. Element of arousal, endeavor, exertion, frequently giving careful attention to these elements is the nutrient for the arising of virya. In other words, two things here. In other words, first, you have to recognize in your mind, you have to recognize what does it mean by the energy of virya. Virya is not about observing precepts. Virya is a force. And the force tells you, it's an energy that tells you, I'm trying to keep my mind space clean. I'm going to exert effort to keep the mind space clean. I want to do it, so I will keep doing it. Every time you watch your mind, you are aware, you are aware of what's going on in the mind. And if there is a negativity instinct that's popping up, the motivation is popping up, you straight away will jump in the energy you put in to keep it out. I'm assuming you are so successful that your mind space is clean. So because it is clean, there is the arising of something negative, you can see it and you will try and keep it out. It is effort. You can actually see your mind making effort, trying very hard to keep it clean. That is why this phrase comes in, carefully, frequently giving careful attention. Yoniso Manasikara is giving careful attention. Not frequently. Eh? Yoniso Manasikara means giving careful attention. Therefore, right at the start state, before something negative comes in, you caught it and you will try not to let it come out. The energy is in the trying not to let it come out, okay? Trying to keep it out. Not easy because you have to frequently remember. In your daily life, I really mean daily life. When you are walking, something jumps into the, the path, you may be a, a bit shocked, Watch your mind, let it go, whatever it is. Someone calls you, name, let it go, whatever it is. Effort, effort to keep doing it. This trying to do it 
is in itself a nutrient. Trying to do it is a nutrient. It feeds the effort. If you have no intent, you don't even try. You say it's so difficult, never mind, or tomorrow then I do. Or actually, it really doesn't matter. Not so difficult, what? really doesn't matter. You don't even try. You don't even try. You just, you just have to look at your mind. Daily, this is day-to-day. -day, uh. This is not in meditation. Uh. If all you're doing is in meditation, trying to do the right thing, not good enough. It is daily life. And to be aware of the energy of trying to do the right thing. That's what this is about. To be aware of the energy of trying to do the right thing. Okay? Uh, let me put it... Sorry. Let me just repeat it again. There is trying energy. There is doing the right thing. The two things are not the same. Are you following me? There's trying to do the right thing and there is the right thing you are doing. They are not the same. What this is saying is, at this point, trying to do the right thing, making the effort, be aware of the effort, seeing your mind striving to do the right thing. If you are successful, there will be no negativities. If you are not successful, there will be the arising of negativities. In which case, you need to tell yourself, I am trying to let it go. I will try to keep all these negativities out. And I'm not even going to pay attention to stories that feed the negativities. I'm just going to ignore them. You tell yourself that. Being aware of this energy of thriving is virya. Okay? Got it, huh? Moving on. Okay. So you have to stir, stir up the energy. You have to sustain the energy and you have to keep it, you push it. Try harder. Okay? Now, this Yoniso Manasikara is the mind very aware of now. And looking at that mind, it is observing. It's paying close attention, it's observing. And know for itself whether your mind has negativities or not. Negatives, positive, it is aware. Okay? It knows when the mind is agitated or not, quiet or not, committed to the practice or not. It is clear, there is a clarity of what's going on. Think of it like a butler who knows everything. The mind is very alert. For some of you who have gone for retreats uh, and do regular meditation, this expression is something very familiar to you. To you, it is essentially a way of life. The mind is just very clear and it's very observant and it knows what's going on. For those of you who are very new to this practice, and may not have even done a proper meditation. And this word may sound a little bit alien. It's okay. Just know it as a state of clarity and being aware of now. Okay? 
What are these four? Strivings is another word for virya. Okay. In another sutta, the Buddha talk about how do you apply virya? Okay. Virya, how do you apply it? So the first one, by restraint. Virya by restraint, meaning do not let something come up. How do you do it? When you see something, when you see something, you don't go into the details. That's what it means. See, seeing, you are not caught up with details. If you leave your eye faculty unrestrained, negative, unwholesome states of longing and dejection may invade you. So you practice restraint over your eye faculty. You guard it. This is how you restrain the eye faculty. Let me explain this. Sometimes the, the manner of exercising control over what's going on is you just do a, what I call a see-seeing. You are aware that there is seeing, but you are not caught up with the details of what you're looking at. When you're caught up with the details of what you're looking at, your eyes have already, your consciousness is already embedded in the object. For those of you who meditate, you know what I'm saying, right? It is possible for you to get to a state of mind where you are just aware that you're looking at things. The things you're looking at, you're aware of it, but you are not caught up by the object. Understand? <laughs> yes? No? Never heard of? If you have never heard of it, I don't know how to explain it to you. <laughs> if you have heard of it, you are already happily nodding your head. Okay? It is all meditation. This is, this is restraint, striving by restraint is you are aware that you are observing things but you're not caught up in the things. So your mind has to be, your, you are noting that there is seeing, there is an object, but the object and you, you maintain a distance. You're not caught up in the object. That's what it means, okay? This is one form of virya by restraint, okay? One form of virya by restraint. And it can be applied. You see, the idea here is if you, the reason why you have dukkha, the reason why there is all this angst is when you are caught up in the object. Then you will have angst. If you're not caught up in the object, you won't have angst. So your mind is aware. The mind is aware that you can pull back and just see the object as it is without being caught up. And you have to watch the consciousness that is observing the object, not watch the object. Watching the eye consciousness. Knowing this is eye consciousness. E-Y-E, not I. The E-Y-E consciousness, the year consciousness. Observe the year hearing, hearing, not caught up in details of the object, the sound, the image, the taste, not caught up with those. Okay? Make sense, huh? Okay. Some make sense, some don't. Go for meditation. The second form of virya is to let go. Pahana. I love this word. It is 
to drop it. Okay? And this is how it is done. A bhikkhu does not tolerate and a reason, sensual thought. Vitaka is a thought. K-A-M-A, kama, is sense-based. Sensual, then. Sense-based. This is not K-A-M-M-A. Eh? This is one M only. So for those of you taking exam, you better know the difference. <laughs> Very shy. Eh? Okay. Kama vitaka. So this is pronounced as kama vitaka. The other one is kama. Okay. He does not. He does not tolerate. Means as soon as there is the arising of a thought associated with sense-based delight, he drops it. Can you imagine how sharp this mind is? The moment he sees it, he doesn't think about it. He cuts it right there. Okay. He cuts it. He pushes it out. He, okay. It gets more and more, uh, think of it like shredding. This one is, don't think about it. This one is pushing it out. This is basically beating it up, okay? It doesn't exist. Don't let it come out. Completely doesn't exist. Obliterate, okay? And this takes, this increasing capability at making sure it doesn't even exist. This one still come up. That's why you got to drop it. This one still come out. You see, you got to push it out. But by this point, boleo doesn't come out anymore. Okay? It wouldn't even come out. And the same goes. So this is pertaining to a thought that is linked to sense-based delight. This is, please, uh, sensual is not sexual. Uh. <laughs> this is a big cool, okay? <laughs> sensual means sense-based. So something you see and you like, something you taste and you like, the smell, the hearing, and so on. This is not the um, RA version. Uh. Okay. Does not tolerate an reason thought. It's just ill will. We are padda. It's just ill will. He is not even having hatred. Not even anger. Just ill will. We are padda. Okay? And we himsa. Cruelty. Are we, this is are we himsa. No cruelty. No thought of ill will or harming anyone. What is this? This is right thought under the Eightfold Path. Right thought. Nikamma, letting go. Awiyapadda, awihimsa. Okay? So, in the first one, if you look at the sequence, uh, in the first one, the one of restraint, it's a normal day life. As you go on a normal day, Things arise, things fade away. You know that they arise, you know that they fade away. Don't pay too much attention to each one. That's what it means. This one is a thought. So it got into a state where thinking has happened. The other one is linked between this person 
and having a connection to the external world. I hear sound, I see things, I taste things, I smell things, I touch things and so on. There is a connection with the mind and external world. This particular one is all happening within the mind. Within the mind, you can be thoughts that arise, negative ones. Make sure that you know how to jam it and let it go. Jam it and let it go. The other one is not about jamming. It's about not letting them come up. That's why it's restraint. Can you see how difficult all these things are? But these are practitioners. Because I told you before, we are going from the normal layperson practice of restraint to the practitioner's practice of restraint. The normal layperson is, I don't kill, good already. I don't take things not given to me, very good already. Tomorrow I'm giving back all my stationery, very good already. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? This is a standard, no standard one, very low. Then, then, then because you're practicing, right? You're Buddhist, Buddhist, you do the right thing. So, oh, okay, now I give, I give, I save, I function, I function, I save life, you know? Yeah, it's a higher bar. This is a practitioner one. This is daily life, observing your mind, knowing what's going on, learning what to do with your mind. So the first one is, I see things, see seeing, I don't get hang-ups about them. The second one is, uh-oh, thoughts are arising, I must learn how to manage those thoughts. So you let go, don't hold, jam it, cut it out. Don't even think about it, in other words. You know how tough this is, huh? Because you didn't practice like them, huh? You practice like them, not so tough, okay? Next. Now comes what do you develop, okay? What do you develop? A bhikkhu develops the enlightenment factor of mindfulness, which is based upon, you see, these are practitioners. For the practitioners, what do they have to develop the seven factors of enlightenment? starting with mindfulness. They have to develop in their mind the path, in other words, the path. Actually, it boils down to what we had said earlier, the 37 factors of enlightenment. But I already said, you don't need all 37, you need the core ones. And he, here, because they are practitioner, it starts off with mindfulness. Mindfulness based upon a certain degree of not being attached push it a bit further and letting go. There are different parts. Huh? You see this? this is a mature, it's maturing in your capacity to let go. You start off by keeping your mind, your, you know the mind, you hold it, you concentrate. And the mind must learn not to hold on to the negativities. It just stays concentrated. At some point, the mind... When it is concentrated, it develops a certain distance between the mind and the object. If you can maintain the distance, you won't hold to the object. Cessation is holding to the object. Okay? So you have a mindfulness based on seclusion, dispassion, and cessation. Okay? How do you do that? Sorry, you start off with mindfulness. This is the seven factors of enlightenment. You start with mindfulness, okay? Because of mindfulness, you have a lot of energy to keep pushing, do the right thing by the mind. You will develop piti, joy, pasadi, 
tranquility, which leads to samadhi, concentration, and a certain sense of detachment. If you are familiar with the seven factors of enlightenment, there's one more missing, it's Dhamma Vichaya. Dhamma Vichaya, everything is Dhamma Vichaya here. Everything. Dhamma Vichaya is Dhamma investigation. Investigation of Dhamma. Two, four, five, six, seven. Mindfulness being the first one, Dhamma Vichaya, investigation of Dhamma, which leads to this spinning. This is a spinning wheel. Roy actually make it spin. I didn't want it spinning. It's too distracting, so I <laughs> kill the spinning. <laughs> well, he didn't make them spin. He made this fella spin. I decided, no need. Okay? So all you have is just static ones. Okay. Given... So, what it means is that when you are trying to practice properly, the virya will also help you to develop the other factors of enlightenment. That's what it means. That's what the virya can help you to do, okay? That's stating the obvious. And finally, what is striving by protection? Anuraka. You... Okay, let me just explain it slightly differently. Eh? You see, for many of us, we are, our motivation to practice, our motivation to practice is often quite shallow. We say we want to know Dhamma, but the reality is we take what I happily call the scenic route to Dhamma realization. We take it slow. Our motivation to really practice is not very strong. And why is that so? Because we keep being pulled towards the nicer side of life. You know, the, why? Many a times we want to practice partly because we are aware that there is dukkha. But every time dukkha fades because your practice is a bit kilat, right? Dukkha fades a bit, huh? then you are, oh, let's go play already. Huh? Let's go eat, let's go enjoy. Huh? Lay people like that, ma, what to do? So we get all this distraction, you know, right? And then we give ourselves discount. So one day practice, second day, let go a bit. And we do these things. There is a way to force ourselves to take the practice more seriously. And one way to do it, actually, is to keep perceiving death. If you start to work into your mental state that death is coming. You don't know when it will hit, but it will hit. Your expiry date uh, is hidden from you. And you know what is ridiculous? I mean, it's not ridiculous, but, but natural. For most of us, we'd rather not know when's the expiry date. Huh? That is why we resent it when we are told we got cancer. We resent it. Because it's like, the, ah, suddenly you're telling me my expiry date is how long? Huh? <laughs> Six months? So we don't like it, you see. We'd rather not know. We'd rather not know. And tomorrow you take me, nah, just take. Nah. So, so our mind is very weird. Buddhism, in the, Buddhist, in the Buddha's teaching, if you go through, whether you look at Dhammapada, there's an entire section on Mara, death. Entire segment on Mara. Mara is not a god. Eh? In this case, Mara, death. You go and look into your Samyutta Nikayas, they're all there. 
the mountains coming, crushing you, etc., etc. Constantly, there is the reminder that we have an expiry date. And that will be your incentive and my incentive to want to practice. So this striving by protection, the idea here is find an object that can help you to focus. At the same time, this is one object that will remind you to practice. This is what it means. Okay? So, as I've said earlier, the second part about virya is the manner in which the practitioner looks at his mind. Two parts to it. Looking so closely, you know what's going on and knowing what to do when you are in that state of knowing what's going on. You know something negative is there. Do you have the wisdom to let it go? You know something positive is there. Do you have the wisdom to hold it there? Do you know how to hold it there? So this video enables you to be very sharp at looking at the mind, pouring a lot of energy, looking at the mind, and doing the right thing. Okay? So the four right efforts of the Noble Eightfold Path. On its own, final point, Final couple of points. On its own, Viriya actually doesn't trigger spiritual enlightenment. That you are only doing Viriya and nothing else. That all you have is a lot of positive karma. What, we, I, what I would call good credit point for next life. We are mind very pure, very nice mind. Die already, go heaven type. Okay? So on, on its own, Viriya itself doesn't lead you to see the Dhamma. But, without it, Nibbana not possible. Nibbana not possible. Okay? Virya is extremely powerful anchor to keep you on the path, to keep you pushing, to keep you taking the pain, to know what's going on in the mind, and keep you going, in other words. Virya, uh, like Sadda to some extent, Virya Sadda, to some extent, a little bit underrated. People talk about Sati Samadhi and Paniya happily. This is important. Sati Samadhi, Paniya. Sadda, okay lah. Virya, okay. So, same thing, you know. Morality, good. Like a good to have is not a good to have. It's a must have. Sadda, same thing. It is not a good to have. It is a must have. Okay? So, this is, the, this is what I have for today. It is the requisite this.